All right. Well, we will um, go ahead and get started. And then as people come in, we can uh, summarize things if we need to. So let me see here. First thing I wanted to say, I put this on the top of your on the top of your sheet, but I listened to a couple of classes, a couple of the recordings, and (laughs) don't take this the wrong way, but there was a lot of comments that I thought were really great, and um, some of them we missed out on because we weren't using the mic, so just as someone who's listening to it, there's sort of a gap in there of... 30 seconds where it's just sort of silent. Um, So we'll try and do our best to capture the comments on the microphone. Just for those that are listening, it'll make it a little more um, informative. The other thing to note... Oh, I gave you two already. The other thing to note is that the comments are really great. So the person listening is missing out on what I would call an integral part of the lesson, which is what you guys have to say. So I will we'll try and uh, capture that on the mic today. All right. Probably have to... We should put a sign on the door that says, the coffee's out there. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, a little light that comes on, says recording. Okay. So we ended last time, um, and it seemed that Koalath had addressed in some way the problem of wickedness in chapter 3, verse 16, where he um, talks about the oppression that he saw in the place of justice and in the place of righteousness. Uh, But he turns back to it again in chapter 4 to see a specific instance of it, you could say, and that is of oppression. Looks like, oh, you already got some. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. So I was saying before the latecomers came in that um, we, uh, if we could, let's make our comments on the microphone because I've listened to a couple of the classes and what you guys have to say has been really beneficial and so it, you just can't hear it. So on the recording, it'll be me talking and then a silence and then me responding in some way but it it doesn't uh we're missing out on the benefit that you guys bring to the class so if you could try and make the comments into the microphone okay so we see the specific instance of the uh wickedness or oppression in verses one to three so i'm going to go ahead and read chapter four in its entirety and that's what we're going to be looking at today This is Ginsburg. Um, There are some things today that I'll take exception with, but generally I really really like uh, how he approaches it. Okay. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then I saw again all... Actually, I'll read it in ESV so that we can follow along a little more easily, and then when we do the actual study, we'll, we'll... look through Ginsburg here. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of the oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead, who are already dead, more fortunate than the living, who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun." Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. 
Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all this toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who came later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after wind. Okay, so the first thing to note is that Koalath, just as we talked about last time, is seeing certain things, and then he's comparing it with something else, and then making a proclamation that one thing is better than another. And in that way, you're seeing what element uh, he's highlighting in terms of which one is better. Uh, Zach, do you want a paper? Yeah. Does anyone else need a paper? Okay. So you can see that in verse uh, chapter 4, verse 1, again I saw. And then in verse 3, he says, but better than both is. And then in verse 4, then I saw. And in verse 6, better is. Verse 7, again I saw. And then in verse 9 and 13, uh, nine, be- two are better than one, and then 13, better was a poor. So he has these different images that he's comparing and then showing that in one aspect at least, uh, one is better than the other. Another thing to note is when Coalesce says, I again saw, or again I saw, <clears throat> excuse me, he, uh, this indicates a return to a subject which has, already been examined. So now he's going to look at it from another point of view. That's the idea there when he says, again, I saw. So in chapter 4, verse 1, as we mentioned already, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun refers back to chapter 3, verse 16, when he says, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And then in verse 7, you see, again, I saw that refers back to, or I guess he says, the person who has no other, either son or brother, in verse 7, is a further examination of the person, in verse 4, who toils out of envy of his neighbor and does not enjoy his meal. Okay, so verse 4, 1 to 3, chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, I'll read it in this Ginsburg translation. Then I saw again, so there are different sections to this uh, chapter. I think I have a table on the back. So that shows you the different sections or the different verses that make up each section. And then he's comparing two things within that section and proclaiming one to be better than the other. Okay, so those are the sections, verses 1 to 3. Then verses 4 to 6, 7 to 12, and 13 to 16. Bridget, do you need a paper? Okay, I'll give you one. Uh, Steve, do you want to? Okay. I mean, I printed them up. You might as well take it. Okay. So the term, all right, let me read it. Then I saw again all the oppressed who are suffering under the sun and beheld the tears of the oppressed and they had no comforter. And from their oppressors, 
there was violence, and they had no comforter. And I esteemed happy the dead who had died long ago more than the living who are still alive, and happier than both him who has not been born, who has not seen these evil doings which are done under the sun. Okay, that's the first section. Um, the word or the term there translated as power in verse 1 because of the context becomes a negative and is rendered as a force of violence. And this is why Ginsburg translates it as from their oppressors there was violence. I know the ESV there just says, on the, yeah, there was power. But be, given the context, it has a negative connotation there. Okay? Um, <clears throat> another thing to note is that phrase, no comforter, is repeated. You can see it in, uh, it's in verse 1. The oppressed, those who had tears, they had no comforter. And on the side of the oppressors, there was no comforter for them. So the Ginsburg actually understands it as describing the continued state of things. So in other words, the oppressed have tears and no one to comfort them, and the oppressors have power, and still the oppressed have no one to comfort them. I don't think, however, that this describes a situation or condition which would warrant the conclusion that he comes to in verse 3 where he says, better than both is he who has not been born and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. So if really the condition that we're describing is really bad oppression, then the answer could simply be, well, gain power and... um, influence and so by get yourself out of oppression right but that's not the conclusion he comes to he's saying better than both and i think the reason for that is that um the oppressor is the person who's later described in the chapter as one who's lonely friendless childless working all the time with no enjoyment of his labor or the fruits thereof And this is a clear picture of someone in need of comfort, and yet he has none. So this is a picture, I think what what Coalesce is describing here, is a picture where both sides are in a miserable state and have no one to comfort them. It's a much bleaker picture, and one which fits Coalesce's conclusion more accurately. So for those that are embroiled in oppression on earth, there is no comfort, not for the oppressed or for the oppressor. The struggle for power leaves both parties in a bad state, and better than being involved in this is to be dead, and in fact, it's best not to have been born at all. So when he compares the extremes, the oppressed who have tears and the oppressors who have power, maybe another way of saying is they share a common struggle. Neither of them have comfort. They are, though on opposite sides of it, both embroiled in this horrible struggle that ensnares them and yet no one is there to comfort them. So that idea of being comforted, having someone to comfort you, and, and no one showing up is something like, um, imagine a loved one dies, maybe your spouse, and you have a funeral, and you're there, and no one shows up. So that probably makes you feel a bit worse than maybe you felt before, uh, just having your dead spouse now there's no one there to even help you share that grief. And that is the state, as we'll see, of the, of the one who uh, ends up in that oppressive position. Okay, so even if you make it to the top and you're this oppressor and you're one of the ones with the power to oppress, you're not better off. Okay, verses 4 to 6. Then I saw that all the toil and all the dexterity and work are from jealousy of one toward the other. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. The sluggard foldeth his hands and yet eateth his meat. Better a handful of enjoyment than two hands full of labor and striving after the wind. Okay. Ginsburg has a comment on this. Then I saw that all the toil, 
the industry and dexterity manifested in the pursuits and avocations of life in spite of the unalterably fixed destinies of man and to the neglect of the enjoyment of the present, which is the only portion of man, arise from a mean desire to outdo one's neighbor whose prosperity is looked upon with a jealous eye. Yet this base competition frequently terminates in the loss of the object eagerly pursued and in striving after the wind. So verse 4, this person toils out of jealousy towards his neighbor. And this is the first image that is going to be used in the comparison. Okay, <clears throat> So the first image is the person toiling out of jealousy. What are, let, so let's stop for a minute and think. I'll read it again, but then let's think about what it might look like when one toils out of jealousy for his neighbor, what that might actually look like, okay? Here's the verse. Then I saw that all the toil and all the dexterity and work are from jealousy of one toward the other. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. So what might it look like when one toils out of jealousy for his neighbor? And let's use the microphone. Owen up front, looks like... Maybe it's the material possessions or the material prosperity of the neighbor that the person's jealous of. Okay. So when you toil, then what are you going to be thinking about? How much you want what your neighbor has. Okay. So you're you're toiling to try and outdo your neighbor, right? Get what he has. That's the idea? Yes. Okay. Other ideas? Yeah, Zach. Uh, before you say anything, I want to say, Mr. Sparks, I've been listening to the, um, I listened to some classes that were recorded and appreciate the comments that are made. So one of the things that, and I appreciate your comments too. One of the um, things that I noticed though is that sometimes the comments aren't captured on the microphone. So that's why we're, we're passing it around. But th thanks for the comments. Yeah. So you're listening to tapes of yourself teaching? Yes. That's a problem. <laughs> That's how you learn. You criticize yourself. Okay, Zach. <clears throat> Maybe, um, like, as parents, if we're jealous of how many kids our neighbor has or the accomplishments of them, their kids or them as a family, and so we're trying to match or prove that our family is better than their family or something yeah. like that. Yeah, and so what is that? How does that make you think or feel as you're doing that? <clears throat> uh, one thing is it probably gives you less enjoyment in what you're doing because you're just focusing on... It can make you, like, like the standards are so much higher and maybe even, like, not the standards you would normally have for yourself. It's like, well, because this other person is doing it, I better do that. It's not because I necessarily wanted to. It's more like I wanted to just match what they're doing and, mm -hmm. like, less motivation, but it's kind of more like an anxious motivation and sure. probably feels less fulfilling in the end. Okay. Yeah, comparison is the thief of joy. Yeah. Because um, as soon as you start comparing yourself, you that person has four kids and you have three, or that person has ten and you have two, whatever, right? Wh what does that automatically make you think? <clears throat> Uh, <clears throat> Alakai, excuse me. I wish these had a mute button. I can't imagine that. I'm glad I don't have ten kids. Yeah, me too. Okay. <clears throat> so it makes you think, it might make you think that, right? Like you're better, or in some way, like, that's a curse. It might also make you think like, hey, I wish I had that and long for that, which is why it, it leads to less gratitude, right? Comparisons, comparison is a thief of joy. I've heard that phrased another way, but I like that. Okay, so what might the inside, what is inside the heart of the person toiling out of jealousy? That's a, 
So we've talked about maybe what some of the behaviors are. What are some of the hard issues? Uh, Owen. Pride. Could be pride. Okay. And when you say pride, what do you mean? Sorry. Uh, The desire to exalt yourself. Okay. To be to the status of that person that you're jealous of. Okay. Thank you. Discontent. Okay, discontent, yep. Um, yeah, if you were content, I mean, if we spend a little bit of time there, if you were content with what you had, right, you wouldn't bother looking to see what someone else had, right? You'd be totally happy. It's even just a lack of... Um faith and trust in what the Lord has provided because if every good thing every good gift is from him and he hasn't given us a good gift we want um, that too is part of our lot and we can be glad that what he has portioned out for us and also what he's withheld from us as well yep no absolutely and this really flows from what we were just looking at that God has an appointed time for everything right he's designed it okay Um, what else might be in the heart of this person like just on a really fundamental level what's he thinking about oh and again himself (laughs) yeah himself or herself exactly so that's his fundamental focus is himself it's not other people other than how he could outdo him outdo them right so his betterment without regard for those whom he might affect. Okay. Um, other comments on that? Other hard issues? Or <clears throat> Okay. I put also, he, he sees himself in competition with others. Right? So it's fundamentally uh, an adversarial way of working. So he's no longer working to enjoy it and because it's a blessing from the Lord and if others need help, he's happy to help them or uses gifts to be a blessing to others. He sees them as the enemy, right? He has to outdo them and do better than they are. That creates some other issues, right? Which is that when they do well, how do you think he's going to respond to that? Just negatively. Yeah, it's, he's going to see it as a loss, right? So when you're in competition with someone, their gain is your loss. Your loss is their gain. So if you're thinking about things in that way, it's really going to affect how you approach your work and the implications it'll have when someone else does well. You're going to have a hard time congratulating them and wishing them well. Yes, Marina. It's also very stress-inducing lifestyle you yeah. know if i mean there's this keeping up with the joneses but then there's outdoing the joneses so yeah. it you'll be in constant stress to to do what really is maybe not what you want to do right even. no absolutely thank you um and what in this in this verse here if we were to take some of the ideas here what might this lead to if it's left unchecked now bitterness bitterness okay um or like when you finally get to the top how are you going to treat other people you'll become an oppressor yeah right that's how you're going to be viewing other people is you defeated them right you won you're the victor right so yes it will lead to you possibly being the oppressor Zach yeah not just you defeated them but you have to keep them down like everyone's still kind of a constant threat of like I want to keep my position now so that's like kind of makes me think of what you were saying of you might think that the um, oppressor is like in the best spot but he always has to try to keep his position and so you never really get to the point of like now I can relax and enjoy myself because he's always thinking about how he can keep and not lose what he's gotten. Yep. And there's always someone who will have something you want or some position that's a little bit better in some way because it's you're not viewing it as a balanced thing and being grateful for what you have. And, oh, these are great things that I have, but rather 
this other person has a little bit more. And there's always someone who's going to have something a little better, a little nicer than you have. Okay, I want to read a little bit from Barrick's book as well that, that addresses this. Um, but first, I will say this. This is the very heart of selfishness and self-centered thinking, and that if it's left unchecked, it will checked, it will result in the oppression of others, as we saw in, in 1 to 3. So Barrick said something similar here. <clears throat> I'm going to read that. Envy, jealousy, covetousness, and greed all serve to motivate people to work with fervor for long hours. Jealousy carries with it a positive connotation only in regard to the relationship between God and his people and the marital relationship. Jealousy or envy divides families. There's verse references for all these, so if you if you want them all, <clears throat> I can give them to you after. But jealousy or envy divides families kills, harasses, and produces anger, rottenness in the bones, and hatred. One should not envy a violent person or sinners. No wonder the scripture describes this sort of labor or work as evil. Such activity displays a dog-eat-dog attitude wherein a person seeks to get ahead, even if he or she must step on colleagues in their climb to the top of the corporate ladder. In Walter Kaiser's examination of this passage, he acknowledges that men can be as cruel and inhumane to each other in unnecessary competition as they can be in oppression. Envy destroys others just as certainly as the exercise of oppressive power. It is more popular to criticize corporate greed and political oppression than to recognize that such great injustices originate with the envy and jealousy that too often motivates a person in his or her own drive to succeed at any cost. So this is what Koaleth is addressing here. That's the picture of the person that he's speaking about. Okay, five to six. The sluggard folds his hands and yet eats his meat. Better a handful of enjoyment than two hands full of labor and striving after the wind. So the sluggard does not work diligently, but he at least enjoys his meal. This is the second image, okay, compared with the person who's working um, out of jealousy and envy. The sluggard is not in a great position, but he enjoys his meal, which is something. Next, Koaleth compares these two people, and the sluggard is better off, he concludes, than he who amasses wealth but cannot enjoy it for want of tranquility of mind. At least the sluggard enjoyed his meal, the other enjoyed nothing. Scott, you had a... Yeah, mine reads different and gives a, a different picture. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Yes, that's right. Um, that is another reading of it. And um, there's more detail on that. I would be happy to like talk more about it. But um, the, the reason Ginsburg goes the way he does, I think, is that <clears throat> it doesn't make as much sense just simply to say he's destroying himself, right? Because the idea is, well, how's he better off? it doesn't really fit with the comparison that Coaleth is talking about. It's sort of a general truth, but it doesn't fit with the context. But I, let, me, let, me continue, let me at least finish his, uh, his description of it, and then, and then we could talk more about it. But he does... There, there's about two pages of information in here on that and other things, and I have kind of skipped over some of it just because if we dealt with every one, it would get a little um, heavy, but uh, or I guess pretty academic. But let me finish the argument, and then you see if it makes sense, if you find it convincing. Okay. <clears throat> but yes, that's how the ESV reads, too. So. Okay. 
the sluggard folds his hands to show the vain effort of the to show the vain efforts of the mean characters mentioned in the preceding verse, Koaleth points to the fact that while industrious and dexterous jealousy attempting greedily to grasp the object of her eager pursuit finds frequently that she is striven after the wind, the slothful man quietly enjoys his repast. Okay, so... That's the contrast that he brings up. Um, And I think... I'm just skimming over his reason for choosing that. And to, yeah, so maybe we talk about that after if you want to come up, Scott. Um, And I can at least point you to this because the problem is it it sort of becomes a a grammatical debate between different commentators and it's... The slugger is better off or the fool is better off if you read it that way because he's at least getting his meal. Yeah, which I think fits with what he's saying, Right. And so he's saying, hey, wh- why is he better? What, like, if you take that better as a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil. So you got your sluggard who's got at least a handful of stillness and he enjoys his meal contrasted with the workaholic or whatever you want to call it who is full of toil and going after stuff. So it, it fits, with the, fits with the flow. If you were to say, you know, the one works out of envy for his neighbor the fool destroys himself betters a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil like what's what in that did he show was better right he just showed a fool destroying himself out of his laziness and then the person also destroying himself because he's working too much do you see what i mean so i think that's why coalesce makes a little more sense is that it makes sense of his conclusion so, yeah. Okay. Well, we'll move on. And of course, if you have more, we'll talk about it. Okay. Are we ever tempted to work out of a desire to acquire more wealth and end up passing on enjoying the simple pleasures before us? Yes. Okay. How might we learn from these verses to apply to that situation where we're tempted to do that? That we aren't better off in the end for doing that? We aren't? We aren't better off. Okay. Because the person, the fool who doesn't work and suffers for that is no better off than the person that works hard, but for the wrong reasons, for jealousy and envy. Okay. Um, what else might we take from it? Anyone else? Um, yeah. Thank you for the singing this morning, by the way. I appreciate it, Scott. forgot to mention that. That was wonderful. It even kind of harkens back to the early part of chapter 3, how the comparisons where there's a time and a place for everything and it seems especially modeled for us in the creative order how God worked and then rested so there's a time for work and a time for rest and if you try to go too far either way, you're going to end up with disaster Yep, no, that's right and I, that's good to point out too, we are talking about extremes here and he's sort of comparing these two things to say, hey this thing can be better over here sometimes. Okay. All right. Um, so I was thinking a simple thing might be um, skipping lunch at work, working through lunch. I mean, that's just like literally what he's talking about. <laughs> right? And yet, 
that's not uncommon. Um, being late for dinner or eating dinner while you're trying to finish something up. Um, those are two just basic, simple examples of how we might do exactly what he's talking about. Failing to really just slow down and enjoy the meal that we have. Um, you can obviously broaden that out to other things, but at least the meal, that should be obvious. I know I certainly do that, um, where I keep working and just skip having a meal. Um, Proverbs 23.4. Actually, does someone want to read that? Charlotte, do you have your Bible open? Okay. Proverbs 23, 4. Do not toil to <clears throat> acquire wealthy. Be, not be, wealthy. Do not toil to acquire what's wealth. Wealth. Be design, discerning. That's right. Discerning. To Discerning enough to desist. Desist. Yeah, like stop. Okay, cease and desist. I should start using that. Okay, um, that's the I, That's what Koalath is saying. That's a similar idea. Don't toil to acquire wealth. Be, what was it? Discerning. Be discerning enough to desist. So be smart enough, recognize, know enough to not spend your time trying to acquire wealth. Stacy. Do you think that that um, could also be applied even to just measuring out how much work we are going to do in a day? Maybe it's not related to acquiring wealth, but just the idea of recognizing there's a time when you need to put your work aside to sleep or just to enjoy other things. Does that apply to that as well, too? Oh, yeah, certainly. I mean, I would think that in a day, you should, like, say, taking your lunch, right? There should be periods in your day where you take a break to enjoy things. Enjoy your breakfast, enjoy your lunch, whatever meals you're having. There might be a time to, um, well, I know with homeschooling, you guys have times where you can go outside and play and do stuff. So incorporating those times into the day, I think, is a good idea. Yeah. You, oh, you mean that proverb, or do you mean what Coalesce uh, uh, talking about in Ecclesiastes? That proverb. I think he's talking about wealth there. Like, d like, don't spend your time trying to get rich. Like, realize it's empty. You're not. You're not. It's not going to get you anywhere. Yeah, yeah so I can kind of relate to, to that uh, concept just yesterday. So um, I taught uh, lessons from McTend to 4.30, and then I had that concert last night to play. And then I got home, and I'm like, you know what? I need to make another YouTube video. <laughs> <laughs> so I was up till 2 o'clock recording. So, you know, I should have just gone to bed and just enjoyed the fairly successful day. Because YouTube, you know, you don't make any money from that. So it's not like that's a really a, a wealth endeavor. It's more of a creative or just, oh, i got to get more followers kind of thing. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I can I can directly relate to that. Yeah. Well, and followers is an interesting concept because it really is like the envious, it is the heart of envy. You know, like, hey, who's more popular? Um, Jacob, I had uh, yes. something that's pretty similar to like your idea with the, you know, taking your lunch break, taking time like that during the day, but spread out through the year that I know there's, I've read about research where, 
like dads who don't take time off or don't take very much time off when they have a child, even if they are given that time through their work, um, the ones who don't take as much time off tend to progress further and faster in their career or just people in general not taking like their sick days or their vacation time. Even if they lose it, they just won't take as much because then they can work more and progress in their career, which seems like a better thing. But then you find out those people are less happy and less satisfied in their lives. Yeah. It's like in the end, did it really actually help them? No. It's yeah. better to take time for rest, for enjoyment. Yeah. No, that's I mean, that's in the at my current job, that's I'm seeing that more and more um, because people are interested in climbing up through the the ladder the corporate ladder and um it just is not you could look at their lives and they're not happy so okay i mean one one of them was like talking about how the the lady who's in charge of the whole thing works on saturdays and she'll regularly send out emails on sunday it's like like okay, let's say you got everything you wanted, and now you got millions of dollars saved up, and you could stop working, but you don't know your kids and your husband, your relationships bad. Like what do you, what did you get? Where are you at now? You can get stuff, you can go on trips, but how enjoyable is it if you're all alone? Yeah, it's kind. Of, it is a miserable situation. Um, and I mean. You guys, I, I don't even need to say this, but I'll just mention it. He's obviously not advocating being a sluggard. It's just simply that aspect of at least the guy who did nothing but enjoyed his meal got something from it. The person who's angry and bitter and working to outdo other people and doesn't enjoy the work and doesn't enjoy the fruits of it spent all this time and got nothing. So he's worse off. Okay. <clears throat> 7 to 12, the next section. Again, I saw a vanity under the sun. Here is one who hath no one with him. So again, when he says, again, I saw, he's referring back to this person that we've just been looking at. These are further aspects of that character. And indeed, I would say the entire chapter is looking at not one person who progresses, but at least that spectrum of someone who works in this fashion all the way to the king. Okay. Again, I saw a vanity under the sun. Here is one who hath no one with him, has not even a son or brother, and yet there is no end to all his labor. Even his eyes are not satisfied with riches, and for whom... Do I labor and deny my soul any of my riches? This too is vanity and an evil business. Happier two than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if one fall, the other will lift up his fellow. But woe to the solitary one who falls and has no fellow to help him up. Moreover, if two sleep together, they are warm. But a solitary one, who can, how can he be warm? And if an enemy overpowers the solitary one, two surely will withstand him. And a threefold cord is not easily broken. So the image that Coaleth turns again to is this envious worker who works to outdo others. From the initial jealousy, this person proceeds to avarice. This isn't necessarily the same person as I just said all the way through, but rather a look at different stages on this spectrum. Uh, So to read a comment by Ginsburg in reference to, again, I saw. From jealousy, Coaleth proceeds to avarice as the two features are intimately connected with each other. Both are described as the cause of hard labor undertaken in spite of the immutably fixed order of things and as neglecting the enjoyment of the present, which is the only portion of man. The former is instigated to work by envying the possessions of others, that is the jealous one, while the latter, the one um, out of avarice, 
is impelled to work by an insatiable desire of filthy lucre. That's just trying to get money, right? Filthy lucre. That's a good way to think about it, too. I mean, in our culture, we tend to think of having wealth as inherently wise or good and something that we should achieve indefinitely. Um, but his point here is obvious that, that does, that's not actually a good thing. So this solitary person labors not for another and doesn't even enjoy the fruits of his labor. He has no one to give his gain to, to even to a foolish person, and he's not satisfied with the things he gains either. He never stops working, and he never stops to ask himself why. So here, even work itself is corrupt when pursued as its own end. Or I guess could, you could say um, you could corrupt it. You could corrupt the, the labor and make it a bad thing. Um, if you don't enjoy it, what's the point? So if we were to stop and ask ourselves why we are toiling, what might we say? Why are we working? Why are we toiling? Bridget? I think what Owen said earlier, our own pride to make something of ourselves in yep. the eyes of other people. Yeah, I mean, sorry, I should have said, you're right. I should have said beyond the necessary amount. Yeah, yeah. So you assumed that, which is inherent in my question. I appreciate that. I'm just pointing it out. So, yes. So we have a desire to outdo other people. Um, okay, what are some other reasons we might do it, Stephen? Why did you stay up late last night making a YouTube video? Uh, well, I will say one part of it is just the creative endeavor, which is enjoyable. But yeah, there's that sense of, okay, I, I make a video, I put it out, you know, I'll get more subscribers, you know, and then ultimately you know, more students or more, you know, performance opportunities. Um, you know, and, and not even all that am I thinking about, but certainly it's there that, you know, it's in the background that I'm thinking about that, and that ultimately is a, is a reason, you know, is it necessary? Not, no, I have plenty of students, and I have plenty of performances, you know, but it's, it, it, there's kind of that, you get in that habit of doing it, and that drive to do it, and you just do it, and, yeah. and you're sleepy the next morning. <laughs> yeah, well, and I mean, it's, you're right, there's a good thing to it, right? I mean, it's not all bad, yeah. it's, it is a, Toil can be a good thing. It's just measured, I suppose. Yes, Jen. Another thought that comes to mind is not just the Is your husband at home working, by the way? Um, taking care of children work, yes. Ah, okay. Giving children baths, you know, all that fun stuff. Okay. Um, so <laughs> one thing that comes to mind is the idea of safety and security. I can't think of a psalm about where we're putting our trust. But, you know, there can be like, I want more enjoyment, so I'm going to pursue wealth. But also in our... Culture. Like if I have more, then I've laid up more for when I do rest or retirement or if hard times come, I'm setting up myself for security and protection. Yeah. Instead of the Christian where it's like, no, your job can disappear your protections in God, not in your wealth. Yeah. So we might, let me try and rephrase what I think you're saying. We might toil t in, out of a false sense of creating security or comfort later on. Yeah, the protection yeah. versus just the enjoyment of the item itself. Yeah. No, I remember when I was, when we lived elsewhere, I worked at a union job, and so they had a pension. And what the guy told me is a lot of people died within like two to three years of retiring, so the pension had a lot of money because, well, when it hadn't been taken over by the government, but it was... Um, People spent all this time putting money into it to build up this stockpile, and they work all these extra hours, and they, they have these dreams of getting boats and going fishing and whatever. But then they found, this is the guy, as an unbeliever, was saying that people just didn't have anything to live for. They didn't have, they spent their whole life working, and then they get to the end, and it's like, you can only go fishing so many times and on so many trips before you feel like this is pointless right so um that's a good point thank you very much and that is one reason we could work is that we have that idea in the back of our mind and that's sort of 
in a way motivated out of envy too, right? Because we've seen other people do that or we desire that thing. It, com- it comes from a similar heart perhaps, at least in that it's not being grateful for what we have now and trusting the Lord to provide, but we're sort of wanting to take uh, on that responsibility. Um, okay. Mr. Olsgaard. Throw something out. It's maybe a little heading slightly differently, but I'm still like your opinion based on what we're doing here. Um, we're kind of giving the impression that jobs are job and all they're all toilsome or something, but they're jobs that are very pleasurable. Yeah. For me as, as a teacher at a small college, the pay is very poor. If I work hard, 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 I don't get advancement. I don't get more pay, but I do get often more pleasure. I get tremendous pleasure in seeing students succeed. And so my wife will tell you that I work overtime, and my goal is to see them succeed. And hopefully I haven't gone overtime to a ridiculous amount, but, but I get tremendous pleasure in that. So it's not always so toilsome. I mean, I, there's, I think that's a good motive, too. Um, there needs to be balance, of course, with the home life. But, um, but I think there are other jobs. Maybe people who work in health and so on and other fields where they're really helping somebody or, or maybe they're some mission or missionaries or something like that can get tremendous pleasure and joy and reward right from that where it sounds like everything we're talking about here the reward is outside of work outside of that toil like there isn't any within it or something like that i don't know no 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 that's a good it's a good i mean it it addresses sort of what steven was saying too it's not all bad right it's not that uh, he is talking about one specific thing here right He's not talking about all work. He is talking about this type of person who is working out of a jealousy and envy for his neighbor. That could easily be uh, in a professor setting where you're going to be outdone by some other professor. It could be Stephen who enjoys making music, but he's if he's motivated by... Um, being better than that other guitar player on YouTube or whatever, then that falls more into the scope of this. But I will say, though, that if, for example, okay, and I'm not saying this relates to you. I mean, feel free to keep the mic and, and respond. But when what he's talking about here is the person who does, who's alone, right, doesn't have a son or a brother. There's no end to all of his work. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches so that he never asks for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure. So there are aspects to that that I think could apply to someone who just simply worked because they loved the work, right? I'm not saying that applies to you. The situation you described is a little bit more nuanced, right? But I would say that the person he would be talking to is someone who was so fixated on that pleasure that came from work that he abandoned the other responsibilities. Does that... Yeah. I mean, that's just... Could be. That's the point, is that you... Something to consider, right? Just because you're enjoying the work doesn't make it inherently good, right? He was saying earlier um, in the previous chapters that work itself did not satisfy, right? Remember when he went through that list of all his accomplishments? And even those didn't satisfy him, right? So... JP? Yeah, I think we should keep in mind that f- only for the last century were able people to really choose their vocation, right? That for the vast majority of history, you did what your dad did, and you worked 80% of your day for the food that you're going to eat that day. So I just, I think that seems to me what Coleth has in mind is the constant grind for food and i think the the vast majority of the motivation is what jen was saying is i gotta work extra hard today so that in case i get sick tomorrow i have food and coleth is saying just balancing it out okay yeah there's certainly a balance to it to be sure Still seem a little disturbed over there. Well, I'll just keep going. We, if there's other like questions or concerns, we could certainly address them.
but I think that's a good, it's a good point. Um, and it is worth clarifying that he's not saying work is an inherently bad thing and somehow the sluggard has it figured out more, right? The Proverbs are replete with examples of the need to be diligent, structured with your time, hardworking, and full of examples of the sluggard who is, to what Scott was saying earlier, eating his own flesh, destroying himself, right? So that's absolutely true in a general sense. Um, Okay. Now, in the next part that we just read, the next person who is striving for wealth, or sorry, next to the person who's striving for wealth that will not satisfy, Koaleth places the simple and beautiful image of two friends working together. He shows that working with a friend is a reward in and of itself, that a friend will help when needed, will keep you warm or provide comfort and protection. So that's another question. We're not going to get to the last section, but we'll end with this question. Do you think working with a friend is better than working by yourself? Yes. Okay. Um, Isn't there an expression, two heads are better than one? Mm-hmm. So working with someone, you enhance each other. Whereas opposed, if you work by yourself, you don't have anyone to help you better yourself. And maybe someone who is dead set on working all on their own, they're not secure enough in their self and what they can and cannot do, and they're afraid to have someone help them because it will just reinforce that insecurity that they have. Okay. Are you yeah. It also could be that the other person is distracting you from doing your work. Okay. So it could be, it could be that you're, the person's a distraction, yeah. You're more, more likely to seek your own desires if you work by yourself, but if you have someone else there, you're forced to, in some sense, not to be entirely selfish, but mm-hmm. instead maybe build that person up or just not focus on yourself as much. Yep. No, and that's the contrast, right? The The other picture that he's putting this friendship next to is that guy who's working alone or that person who's working alone as opposed to someone who's working with a friend. Yep. Um, so with that in mind, then, when would you say the last time is that you were, say, doing a project or doing something around your house and you thought, hey, I should call my friend over to do this with them? Is that a common thing for you to do? You know, when I had a plumbing problem, I always think, man, I wish I had one of my friends here to help me. <laughs> yeah, but do you call him? No. Yeah. So part of it is, I think, we do tend to do it on our own and think that we could figure it out on our own, and we might even do that, right? I'm sure we could, especially with YouTube, thanks to people who spend their I nights. I am a man, after all. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Right, But then what he's saying is it actually is a blessing to do stuff with other people. That's one of the blessings of working with a friend is that you enjoy it, right? He says that um, uh, better two than one because they have a good reward for their toil. So the other person is the reward in that toil, right? And sometimes we forget that and do it alone and figure we can figure it out and do it. And even if we can, we're missing out on the blessing that comes from doing it with someone else. Okay? Um, so we're out of time. I will, um, next week, I'll try and finish up 13 to 16 quickly. But if you would, the questions that are on the sheet, 
if you could fill those, try and answer those, then when we come in next time, we can spend a little time on that. Like if you fill out the little table, then we can get through that pretty quickly and then move on, hopefully, to chapter five. Not next week, sorry. It's Christmas Eve. We won't be meeting the week after that. I should say next year.